Part six of the highest treason. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The highest treason by Randall Garrett. Part six. The results. I don't understand it," said General Polentalis worriedly. "Where are they coming from?" How are they doing it? What's happened? McMain and the four Carothai officers were sitting in the small dining room that doubled as a recreation room between meals. The nervous strain of the past few months was beginning to tell on all of them. Six months ago, Tallis continued jerkily, we had them beaten. One planet after another was reduced in turn. Then out of nowhere comes a fleet of ships we didn't even know existed, and they've smashed us at every turn. If they are ships, said Lupot, the youngest officer of the Shudo staff, who ever heard of a battleship that was undetectable at a distance of less than half a million miles? It's impossible. Then we're being torn to pieces by the impossible, Hokotan snapped. Before we even know they are anywhere around, they are blasting us with everything they've got. Not even the strategic genius of General McMain can help us if we have no time to plot strategy. The Karothai had been avoiding McMain's eyes, but now, at the mention of his name, they all looked at him as if their collective gaze had been drawn to him by some unknown attractive force. "'It's like fighting ghosts,' McMain said in a hushed voice. For the first time, he felt a feeling of awe that was almost akin to fear. What had he done? In another sense, that same question was in the mind of the Karothai. "'Have you any notion at all what they are doing or how they are doing it?' asked Tallis gently. "'None,' McMain answered truthfully. "'None at all, I swear to you.' They don't even behave like Earthmen, said the fourth Kurothai, a thick-necked officer named Ossif. They not only outfight us, they outthink us at every turn. Is it possible, General McMain, that the Earthmen have allies of another race, a race of intelligent beings that we don't know of? He left unsaid the added implication, and that you have neglected to tell us about? Again, said McMain, I swear to you that I know nothing of any third intelligent race in the galaxy. If there were such allies, Tallis said, isn't it odd that they should wait so long to aid their friends? No odder than that the Earthmen should suddenly develop superweapons that we cannot understand, much less fight against, Hokotan said with a touch of anger. Not superweapons, McMain corrected almost absently. All they have is a method of making their biggest ships undetectable until they're so close that it doesn't matter. When they do register on our detectors, it's too late. But the weapons they strike with are the same type as they've always used, I believe. All right, then, Hokotan said, his voice showing more anger. One weapon, or whatever you want to call it. Practical invisibility. But that's enough. An invisible man with a knife is more deadly than a dozen ordinary men with modern armament. Are you sure you know nothing of this, General McMain? Before McMain could answer, Tallis said, Don't be ridiculous, Hokotan. 
If he had known that such a weapon existed, would he have been fool enough to leave his people? With that secret, they stand a good chance of beating us in less than half the time it took us to wipe out their fleet, or rather to wipe out as much of it as we did. They got a new fleet somewhere, said young Lupot, almost to himself. Tallis ignored him. If McMaine deserted his former allegiance, knowing that they had a method of rendering the action of a space drive indetectable, then he was and is a blithering idiot. And we know he isn't. All right, all right, I concede that, snapped Hokotan. He knows nothing. I don't say that I fully trust him even now, but I'll admit that I cannot see how he is to blame for the reversals of the past few months. If the Earthmen had somehow been informed of our activities, or if we had invented a superweapon and they found out about it, I would be inclined to put the blame squarely on McMain. But how would he get such information out? Tallis cut in sharply. He has been watched every minute of every day. We know he couldn't send any information to Earth. How could he? Telepathy, for all I know, Hokotan retorted. But that's beside the point. I don't trust him any farther than I can see him, and not completely even then. But I concede that there is no possible connection between this new menace and anything McMaine might have done. This is no time to worry about that sort of thing. We've got to find some way of getting our hands on one of those ghost ships. I do suggest, put in the thick-necked Ossif, that we keep a closer watch on General McMaine. Now that the Earth animals are making a comeback, he might decide to turn his coat now, even if he has been innocent of any acts against Kiros so far. Hokotan's laugh was a short, hard bark. Oh, we'll watch him, all right, Ossif. But as Tallis has pointed out, McMain is not a fool, and he would certainly be a fool to return to Earth if his leaving it was a genuine act of desertion. The last planet we captured, before this invisibility thing came up to stop us, was plastered all over with notices that the Earth fleet was concentrating on the capture of the arch-traitor McMain. The price on his head as a corpse is enough to allow an Earthman to retire in luxury for life. The man who brings him back alive gets ten times that amount. Of course, it's possible that the whole thing is a put-up job, a smokescreen for our benefit. That's why we must and will keep a closer watch. But only a few of the Earth's higher-up would know that it was a smokescreen. The rest believe it, whether it is true or not. McMain would have to be very careful not to let the wrong people get their hands on him if he returned. It's no smokescreen, McMain said in a matter-of-fact tone. I assure you that I have no intention of returning to Earth. If Kiroth loses this war, then I will die, either fighting for the Kurothai or by execution at the hands of Earthmen if I am captured. Or, he added musingly, perhaps even at the hands of the Kurothai, if someone decides that a scapegoat is needed to atone for the loss of the war. If you are guilty of treason, Hokotan barked, you will die as a traitor. If you are not, there is no need for your death. The Kurothai do not need scapegoats. Talk, 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 Tallis said with a sudden bellow. 
We have agreed that McMain has done nothing that could even remotely be regarded as suspicious. He has fought hard and loyally. He has been more ruthless than any of us in destroying the enemy. Very well. We will guard him more closely. We can put him in irons if that's necessary. But let's quit yapping and start thinking. We've been acting like frightened children, not knowing what it is we fear, and venting our fear-caused anger on the most handy target. Let's act like men, not like children. After a moment, Hokotan said, I agree. His voice was firm, but calm. Our job will be to get our hands on one of those new Earth ships. Anyone have any suggestions? They had all kinds of suggestions, one after another. The detectors, however, worked because they detected the distortion of space, which was as necessary for the drive of a ship as the distortion of air was necessary for the movement of a propeller-driven aircraft. None of them could see how a ship could avoid making that distortion, and none of them could figure out how to go about capturing a ship that no one could even detect until it was too late to set a trap. The discussion went on for days, and it was continued the next day, and the next, and the days dragged out into weeks. Communications with Keroth broke down. The fleet-to-headquarters courier ships, small in size, without armament, and practically solidly packed with drive mechanism, could presumably outrun anything but another unarmed courier. An armed ship of the same size would have to use some of the space for her weapons, which meant that the drive would have to be smaller. If the drive remained the same size, then the armament would make the ship larger. In either case, the speed would be cut down. A smaller ship might outrun a standard courier, but if they got much smaller, there wouldn't be room inside for the pilot. Nonetheless, courier after courier never arrived at its destination and the Karothai fleet was being decimated by the hit-and-run tactics of the Earth ghost ships. And Earth never lost a ship. By the time the Karothai ships knew their enemy was in the vicinity, the enemy had hit and vanished again. The Karothai never had a chance to ready their weapons. In the long run, they never had a chance at all. McMain waited, with almost fatalistic complacence, for the inevitable to happen. When it did happen, he was ready for it. The Shudos, tiny flagship of what had once been a mighty armada, and was now only a tattered remnant, was floating in orbit, along with the other remaining ships of the fleet, around a bloated red giant sun. With their drives off, there was no way of detecting them at any distance, and the chance of their being found by accident was microscopically small. But they could not wait forever. Water could be recirculated, and energy could be tapped from the nearby sun, but food was gone once it was eaten. Hokotan's decision was inevitable, and under the circumstances the only possible one. He simply told them what they had already known, that he was a headquarters staff officer. We haven't heard from headquarters in weeks, he said at last. The Earth fleet may already be well inside our periphery. We'll have to go home. He produced a document, which he had obviously been holding in reserve for another purpose, and handed it to Tallis. Headquarters staff orders, Tallis. 
it empowers me to take command of the fleet in the event of an emergency, and the decision as to what constitutes an emergency was left up to my discretion. I must admit that this is not the emergency any of us at headquarters anticipated. Tallis read through the document. I see that it isn't, he said dryly. According to this, McMain and I are to be placed under immediate arrest as soon as you find it necessary to act. Yes, said Hokotan bitterly. So you can both consider yourselves under arrest. Don't bother to lock yourselves up. There's no point in it. General McMain, I see no reason to inform the rest of the fleet of this, so we will go on as usual. The orders I have to give are simple. The fleet will head for home by the most direct possible geodesic. Since we cannot fight, we will simply ignore attacks and keep going as long as we last. We can do nothing else. He paused thoughtfully. And, General McMain, in case we do not live through this, I would like to extend my apologies. I do not like you. I don't think I could ever learn to like an anima, to like a non-Karothai. But I know when to admit an error in judgment. You have fought bravely and well. Better I know than I could have done myself. You have shown yourself to be loyal to your adopted planet. You are a Karothai in every sense of the word except the physical. My apologies for having wronged you. He extended his hands, and McMain took them. A choking sensation constricted the earthman's throat for a moment. Then he got the words out, the words he had to say. Believe me, General Hokotan, there is no need for an apology. No need whatever. Thank you, said Hokotan. Then he turned and left the room. All right, Tallis, McMain said hurriedly. Let's get moving. The orders were given to the remnants of the fleet, and they cut in their drives to head homeward. And the instant they did, there was chaos. Earth's fleet of ghost ships had been patrolling the area for weeks, knowing that the Karothai fleet had last been detected somewhere in the vicinity. As soon as the spatial distortions of the Karothai drives flashed on the Earth ship's detectors, the Earth fleet, widely scattered over the whole circumambient volume of space, coalesced toward the center of the spatial disturbance like a cloud of bees, all heading for the same flower. Where there had been only the dull red light of the giant star, there suddenly appeared the blinding blue-white brilliance of disintegrating matter, blossoming like cruel, deadly, beautiful flowers in the midst of the Karothai ships, then fading slowly as each expanding cloud of plasma cooled. Sebastian McMain might have died with the others, except that the Shudos, as the flagship, was to trail behind the fleet, so her drive had not yet been activated. The Shudos was still in orbit, moving at only a few miles per second when the Earth fleet struck. Her drive never did go on. A bomb, only a short distance away as the distance from atomic disintegration is measured, sent the Shudos spinning away end over end, like a discarded cigar butt flipped toward a gutter. One side caved in near the rear, as if it had been kicked in by a giant foot. There was still air in the ship, McMain realized groggily as he awoke from the unconsciousness that had been thrust upon him. 
He tried to stand up, but he found himself staggering toward one crazily slanted wall. The stagger was partly due to his grogginess, and partly due to the Coriolis forces acting within the spinning ship. The artificial gravity was gone, which meant that the interstellar drive engines had been smashed. He wondered if the emergency rocket drive was still working. Not that it would take him anywhere worth going to in less than a few centuries. But then, Sebastian McMain had nowhere to go anyhow. Tallis lay against one wall, looking very limp. McMain half staggered over to him and knelt down. Tallis was still alive. The centrifugal force caused by the spinning ship gave an effective pull of less than one Earth gravity, but the weird twists caused by the Coriolis forces made motion and orientation difficult. Besides, the ship was spinning slightly on her long axis as well as turning end for end. McMain stood there for a moment, trying to think. He had expected to die. Death was something he had known was inevitable from the moment he made his decision to leave Earth. He had not known how or when it would come, but he had known that it would come soon. He had known that he would never live to collect the reward he had demanded of the Kurothai for faithful service. Traitor he might be, but he was still honest enough with himself to know that he would never take payment for services he had not rendered. Now death was very near, and Sebastian McMain almost welcomed it. He had no desire to fight it. Tallis might want to stand and fight death to the end, but Tallis was not carrying the monstrous weight of guilt that would stay with Sebastian McMain until his death, no matter how much he tried to justify his actions. On the other hand, if he had to go, he might as well do a good job of it. Since he still had a short time left, he might as well wrap the whole thing up in a neat package. How? Again, his intuitive ability to see pattern gave him the answer long before he could have reasoned it out. They will know, he thought, but they will never be sure they know. I will be immortal, and my name will live forever, although no Earthman will ever again use the surname McMain, nor the given name Sebastian. He shook his head to clear it. No use thinking like that now. There were things to be done. Tallis first. McMain made his way over to one of the emergency medical kits that he knew were kept in every compartment of every ship. One of the doors of a wall locker hung open, and the blue-green medical symbol used by the Kurothai showed darkly in the dim light that came from the three unshattered glow plates in the ceiling. He opened the kit, hoping that it contained something equivalent to adhesive tape. He had never inspected a Kurothai medical kit before. Fortunately, he could read Kurothai. If a military government was good for nothing else, at least it was capable of enforcing a simplified phonetic orthography so that words were pronounced as they were spelled, and... He forced his wandering mind back to his work. The blow on the head, plus the crazy effect the spinning was having on his inner ears, plus the cockeyed gravitational orientation that made his eyes feel as though they were seeing things at two different angles, all combined to make for more than a little mental confusion. There was adhesive tape, all right. 
wound on its little spool, it looked almost homey. He spent several minutes winding the sticky plastic ribbon around Tallis's wrists and ankles. Then he took the gun from the Carothai General's sleeve holster, he had never been allowed one of his own, and holding it firmly in his right hand, he went on a tour of the ship. It was hard to move around. The centrifugal force varied from point to point throughout the ship, and the corridors were cluttered with debris that seemed to move with a life of its own as each piece shifted slowly under the effects of the various forces working on it. And, as the various masses moved about, the rate of spin of the ship changed as the law of conservation of angular momentum operated. The ship was full of sliding, clattering, jangling noises as the stuff tried to find a final resting place and bring the ship to equilibrium. He found the door to Ossif's cabin open and the room empty. He found Ossif in Lupat's cabin, trying to get the younger officer to his feet. Ossif saw McMain at the door and said, "'You're alive! Good! Help me!' Then he saw the gun in McMain's hand and stopped. It was the last thing he saw before McMain shot him neatly between the eyes. Lupat, only half-conscious, never even knew he was in danger, and the blast that drilled through his brain prevented him from ever knowing anything again in this life. Like a man in a dream, McMain went on to Hokotan's cabin, his weapon at the ready. He was rather pleased to find that the HQ general was already quite dead, his neck broken as cleanly as if it had been done by a hangman. Hardly an hour before, McMain would cheerfully have shot Hokotom where it would hurt the most and watch him die slowly. But the memory of Hokotan's honest apology made the Earthman very glad that he did not have to shoot the general at all. There remained only the five-man crew, the NCO technician and his gang who actually ran the ship. They would be at the tail of the ship in the engine compartment. To get there, he had to cross the center of spin of the ship in the change of gravity from one direction to another, decreasing toward zero, passing the null point, and rising again on the other side made him nauseous. He felt better after his stomach had emptied itself. Cautiously, he opened the door to the drive compartment and then slammed it hard in sudden fear when he saw what had happened. The shielding had been torn away from one of the energy converters and exposed the room to high-energy radiation. The crewmen were quite dead. The fear went away as quickly as it had come. So maybe he dosed himself with a few hundred rentgens. So what? A little radiation never hurt a dead man but he knew now that there was no possibility of escape. The drive was wrecked, and the only other means of escape, the one-man courier boat that every blaster boat carried, had been sent out weeks ago and had never returned. If only the courier boat were still in its cradle. McMain shook his head. No. It was better this way. Much better. He turned and went back to the dining room where Tallis was trussed up, this time, passing the Nolji point didn't bother him much at all. Tallis was moaning a little, and his eyelids were fluttering by the time McMain got back. The Earthman opened the medical kit again and looked for some kind of stimulant. He had no knowledge of medical or chemical terms in Karothic, but there was a box of glass ampules bearing instructions to crush and allow patient to inhale fumes. 
That sounded right. The stuff smelled like a mixture of spirits of ammonia and butyl mercaptan, but it did the job. Tallis coughed convulsively, turned his head away, coughed again, and opened his eyes. McMaine tossed the stinking ampule out into the corridor as Tallis tried to focus his eyes. How do you feel? McMaine asked. His voice sounded oddly thick in his own ears. All right. I'm all right. What happened? He looked wonderingly around. Near miss? Must be. Anyone hurt? They're all dead but you and me, McMaine said. Dead? Then we better... He tried to move and then realized that he was bound hand and foot. The sudden realization of his position seemed to clear his brain completely. Sebastian, what's going on here? Why am I tied up? I had to tie you, McMaine explained carefully as though to a child. There are some things I have to do yet and I wouldn't want you to stop me. Maybe I should have just shot you while you were unconscious. That would have been kinder to both of us, I think. But, but, Tallis, I had to tell somebody. Someone else has to know. Someone else has to judge. Or maybe I just want to unload it on someone else. Someone who will carry the burden with me for just a little while. I don't know. Sebastian, what are you talking about? The Carothai's face shone dully orange in the dim light. His bright green eyes looked steadily at the earthman, and his voice was oddly gentle. I'm talking about treason, said McMain. Do you want to listen? I don't have much choice, do I? Tallis said. Tell me one thing first. Are we going to die? You are, Tallis, but I won't. I'm going to be immortal. Tallis looked at him for a long moment. Then, All right, Sebastian. I'm no psych man, but I know you're not well. I'll listen to whatever you have to say, but first untie my hands and feet. I can't do that, Tallis. Sorry. But if our positions were reversed, I know what I would do to you when I heard the story. And I can't let you kill me, because there's something more that has to be done. Tallis knew at that moment that he was looking at the face of death. And he also knew that there was nothing, whatever, he could do about it, except talk and listen. Very well, Sebastian, he said levelly. Go ahead. Treason, you say? How? Against whom? I'm not quite sure, said Sebastian McMain. I thought maybe you could tell me. End of Part 6